Because a paleo diet, if you were truly being paleo, you would only eat exactly one thing for your entire life until your teeth rot out and fall out of your head. Yeah. At age 26. At age 26. Which is when you're an elder in right. the village. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 104 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm not the games programmer. I'm Sam and I'm also not the games programmer. And today is June 27, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show, there's going to be swears. That's it. That's all. That's the yep. whole thing. Yep. So if you I don't... Have, I have a question. Yeah. I mean, unrelated to the swearing thing, but related to the programmer thing. Just the origin of the word programmer. Because it sounds like... A political stance being all about grammar, mm. but definitely that's not what it is. Well, yeah, it's also not spelled the right way because that would be another A in there. But if you it's actually grammar. It, but if you think about it, you know, because there's, there's a lot of words that get sort of mutilated over time. Can I not think about it, though? But if you do think about okay, it, all right, I'll try uh, grammar, which is just rules of syntax, right? Grammar. Grammar. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's is kind of like that a, is what a programming language yeah. is. But then how come, how, come a, how come a programmer, they change it to an ER? Because it's AR. It's because it's one who writes, you know, like when you go to a play. One who has four grams? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The the program at a play was also made by a programmer. Yeah, that was originally what a programmer did. (laughs) And then uh, as computers came up, people stopped going to plays and they were all like, what the fuck am I going to do now? Mm, I got nothing to write. But it was specifically, right, specifically the programmers from that were doing the play stuff. Right. Who moved, like their whole industry moved into programming. It's kind of like how digital. coal is now shifting into solar. Right. So basically all the programmers people. From, from Broadway, they all switched into computer science. To be fair though, it's very dangerous for those solar miners. It is. Yeah. It's very bright. Very uh, bright. Down there. You have to be standing the on the sun. Yeah. 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 Really dangerous. It's hard. Yeah, sure. I mean, people are always talking about how dangerous coal mining is. And they're like, let's just move to solar. It's safe and clean. Crazy but but not you... for the sun miners. No. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's madness. Standing on the sun. You know? It's not safer than being in a... Plus, you know, carrying around whatever. like a wheelbarrow of sunlight, you know, to get, yeah, it, yeah. To get it into it's the heavy. sun truck. It's heavy as fuck. You got to wear yeah. really good sunglasses. Yep. Yeah. So... You probably get a lot of sunburns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys want to get to some news? Yeah, let's go. Oh, also, before we get started, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Advertisements. Advertisements for when you want to tell people to buy things. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna insert some real ones in that slot, right? I assume. No, no, we're not really sponsored by no. anything. All right. Uh, well, we news. are. No, we are. That's not true. This episode is actually sponsored by Butterscotch Shenanigans. Yeah, but you already knew that. We make games. Go we, buy. Go them. buy them. All right. First news item. Uh, we got our Wrangler back. Yeah. Monique has been gone for quite a while because she made a person. Yeah. Apparently, it takes some time to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, shocker. Crafting a whole human being rather labor intensive heh, process. We have Mo made a baby. Yeah. I think in the past, for privacy reasons, we just said she was away she, for medical She's busy. Things. No, we just said she was away. Because if we said medical things, that would also be too. Oh, that's true. You know? Well, now you know. But she said it's cool, we tell you. Yeah. She made it she made a person. So congrats to uh baby scotch. As the first Monique baby scotch, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about getting some getting some baby scotch onesies whipped up for our merch store whenever we get that. It off is a ride. weird problem with because that's the one merchandise item that has a real shelf life problem, you know. Because if there's somebody who wants a onesie right now, but we don't provide it for two months, <laughs> the baby's late. four times the, the size. A hundred times bigger. <laughs> mm, that's true. Unless we just provide an endless. Series scale of so here's of what you do yeah, all the way onesies. up to adult. You get a baby onesie that has a bunch of buttons on it, so the strap and then really long straps that attach, so you can just keep on. So you can pull yourself oh, up see, by yeah. your onesie straps, right? Yeah, like a real when baby. You say, <laughs> when, you, when you say a baby onesie, is this a onesie that is a baby of another onesie? Yeah, I mean, technically, yes. I mean, how do you think onesies are made? I mean, I assume that they were born. You have to take baby onesies from their mothers out in the wild. From the onesie nest. You have to catch them. Yeah. (laughs) They're very slippery. (laughs) They are. And some of them don't really breed well in captivity, so you got to get like the really good docile ones. That's where the the softest onesies come from. From the wild. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. So we also, we want to talk about introversion software. Yeah. They're a company. Do we? Um, yeah. So. Cool. So we, we aren't in the in the business of, of talking trash. We're just going to talk facts. Yeah. So, so here's what happened. Yeah. There's an interesting article on games industry, which for those of you who don't read it, but are interested in games and game dev industry stuff, it's a, it's a great sort of one-stop shop for 
what's happening in the industry, what people are, what people think about what's happening. So what's happening? So Introversion launched a game, and these are guys who made uh, Prison Architect as well as what, Darwinia. Oh, that's right. They also did yeah. do Darwinia. I played the shit out of that game. Yeah, they've, they've been around for a while, um, and their most recent game, Prison Architect, is this simulation game where you build a prison, uh, and it's absolutely hysterical uh, because they you know they built on all this fun AI behaviors where they interact and. And people, uh, there'll be riots and all sorts of goofy stuff with people getting shanked in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, just fun, just fun, 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 fun for the whole family. Yeah. So uh, that game went gangbusters. I think they sold, how many units did they say? I don't know how many units, but I think they made like $25 million in revenue or something off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty good. Healthy. Healthy. Uh, and then they, they worked up a game, which I'm not sure, when do you play it? I'm not sure no, what just, it is. I looked at it, yeah. but I was like, I don't know what this is. It's some it's sort called of scanner sombre. Mm-hmm. Sombre. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's some sort of pinpoint of light based exploration experience. Okay. So and if that doesn't make any sense to you, it doesn't make any sense it's, to me. Yeah. Either. So on the trailer, what I saw was basically you are in a, the world is completely static. Nothing is moving and everything is made of these p- sort of pinpricks of light. And you have this, scanning device in your hand and when you hold the button it shoots out these little beams and then parts of the world become visible okay and the trailer just showed a lot of that for like a couple minutes of just kind of like the player walking around in these static scenes pointing the scanner at things and then having them become visible hmm. okay i think that's the all right that's <laughs> it. so and then it does have a vr component they added later gotcha yeah okay. so the, interesting, the reason this is interesting is because uh, there's an article on Games Industry about uh, the flop of this new game of theirs. And uh, the reason I think it was interesting to talk about is because we, we talked in depth last week about not necessarily feeling beholden to your fan base in terms of right. what you make next. Yeah. And then uh, I think this is a good example of looking at, looking at an example of someone who clearly did not feel beholden to their fan base in terms of what to make next, who then bombed a ton. So this game sold, I think, 6,000 copies total. Yeah. And, and it is, and it is a relative bombing, right? So relative for the twenty-five million dollars, because they probably made, I think they even said fifty thousand dollars something off of this thing. So if you're, you sure. know, if you're a small, you know, one or two person studio, and you kick a game like this out in half a year, right? Uh, that, you know, that's actually that's something good. you can that's, you can live off of that. That's just fine if that's kind of your your model. But if you're a company like Introversion, who's had some history of success, they have this really successful twenty-five million dollar game. And then you go spit out a fifty thousand dollar game. Um, that definitely is not going to cover any of your studio costs. And, it's not going to feel good. Yeah, so, either. You know, so it's a relative bomb. In the yeah, so I think the, the interesting thing about it is from the article, it was clear that they thought they could marshal their fan base from Prison Architect to go kind of like what we talk about with with collecting a fan base and rolling them forward onto new games. That they could do this with a Prison Architect success and sort of roll it forward. Um, and the game just just imploded. Basically, didn't really do much of anything compared to everything else they've done. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it, it, to me is it's a really interesting uh, sort of disconnect between like, again, we, the whole idea of not being beholden to your fan base is so that you can make new and interesting things, but ideally also that they would still be interested in, yeah. right? That just, well, just that, that, are, that people would just people be, would be interested, interested in, in right? right. Ge- that are generally marketable. But, but even not, not only that, it's also understanding that if you don't act in a way that is beholden to your player base, there's, you have no right to expect your player base to follow you. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the idea that you could basically convert one successful game into the success of another game that is in no way, like not even on the radar of familiar territory. Right. Uh, doesn't make any sense. And to, and to kind of, to then blame sort of like the broader industry as the reason for that right. failure, yeah, which, so is, the, which is what they did. Yeah, the the takeaway in the article was that, was that it was yet another sign of this indie apocalypse. Yeah. Which we've talked about. And we've statistically debunked also um, by looking, scraping Steam's by data and using Adam's powerful statistics brain to figure things out. So, so it was, I think it was kind of, it was just kind of frustrating to read because I think if, if you're not versed in what's actually happening in the industry, or if you think that this makes sense for them to expect, then you could easily read that like, oh, wow, you know, things are really bad. Did they have a publisher for Scanner Somber? No, I don't think so. Because they did for Prison Architect. Oh, did Did they? they? I believe. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But even still, that wouldn't be that. I mean, the problem is that they made a game that just nobody wants. Yeah, but I think there's there's another- And they assumed that there was a a basement for Steam sales. And because that that was the argument they made is basically they were like, well, we thought that we didn't think that you could sell that few copies, you know, but they basically made a game nobody wanted and then sort of blamed the ecosystem for the fact that- Right. Well, I think the the other interesting thing was- was, uh, 
they, they mentioned that the, in the revenue charts on Steam, they were number 15 in like top selling games for that week or two yeah. or whatever. And they pointed again to this as being like, like, well, oh my God, if we only 15. made, yeah, if we only made, if we only sold 6,000 copies, like what does that mean for everybody else on this list? But the reality is it doesn't mean anything because from what we've seen for all these lists, it's not like a linear increase. It's, it's a power a geometric curve. increase. Yeah, so, yeah. so it might be that the difference between position number 15 and number 10 is like a 10 X difference or more or more. Um, because we know that the number one items that get on there and that stay up there sell millions of dollars worth of games. Yeah. And then they just announced that uh, Player Player Unknown's Battleground, which is this sort of uh, battle royale style uh, shooter made by a modder, uh, reached $100 million in revenue, Jeez. sold 4 million copies. What? It's an early access. It's an early access. <laughs> it's on Steam. It's just, And you, you see this difference where it's like, well, that is a compelling game concept that's executed well right. enough. Yeah. So you got one person going, I guess the whole industry is collapsing because right. our game only sold 6,000 copies. And then you have a modder <laughs> who came in and made a thing. Yep. It just made 100 mil off it. Yeah. It's it's just, it, to me, it was, it was an interesting thing that, that I think, you know, I, I hope I hope it's just possible either from people listening to the podcast or just from us taking the time to, you know, look outside of, of our own studio to realistically blame ourselves for stuff whenever we need to. Yeah. Whenever you, know? you find yourself blaming the industry for a market failure that you have created, just you're wrong. You're just wrong. You just missed something. You missed something. That, that was, that was your failure, not the market failure. Uh, and Cause I there think, are people succeeding in the market. Otherwise there may not be one. There definitely wouldn't <laughs> be one. Yeah. yeah. If there were, if there was nothing to be accomplished there, then nobody would be in that space. Yeah. And I think another interesting point about their, their marketing angle was, so Two things that, that I noticed was uh, the, the trailer, to me, didn't really convey what I would consider to be gameplay, just kind of in general, because mm. um, I couldn't tell what they were doing. It reminded me of the early No Man's Sky trailers, where they were just kind of like walking around and looking at things. Right. Everyone's like, but what's... The, but what do you do? What do, you do? Right? <laughs> right. So it was kind of the same <laughs> thing, where they're walking around in this place, and I just like see things com- un- completely unmoving, completely static, and they're just pointing this little like laser light at things, but I can't even tell what that thing is doing. And mm. so... Um, so I didn't get a sense of actually having a, like a good game experience, but also they kicked off the trailer with from the makers of prison architect. And then yeah. in their, uh, in their steam short description, it also says something about prison architect. In there, okay. right? So they, so they thought the credibility was going to be, yeah. So they were, so yeah. So was. the idea there was mm-hmm. instead of, instead of pitching this game on its own merits, the marketing materials around this game keep pointing at prison architect, right. Which is as a, as a not, reason to buy this game. Right. Yeah. And it's just so different. That it doesn't matter. It reminds me of you guys ever hear of Tabula Rasa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was a it was a third person shooter MMO that came out, and it was Richard Garriott's Tabula Rasa, hmm. right? Because people thought, oh yeah, you slap Richard Garriott's name on a thing, what boom. Did you, what did Can you make? remind me who that who is? That? is? Uh, Ultima? do you remember? No, Ultima. Yeah, is that right? Maybe. Ultimate. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, famous guy, famous okay. name. Famous game right? guy. Like, like a not Tom, famous enough. Like a Tom Clancy Splinter Cell kind of a gotcha. situation, okay. right? Got it. So, but less famous. So though. the idea there is by by pointing toward another famous thing, then you just get to make another thing famous. And with Tabula Rasa, completely did not work. Hmm. Um, they, they put it together. It got a little bit of traction for like two weeks and then just completely imploded on itself, Love. right? And so I think... You know, this is a lesson that you can look back over the years and see people trying to do this over and over again is point to unrelated stuff as be, and try to pretend like it's related. And then yeah. it just doesn't pan out. But in, in this, if it's completely unrelated, it's just not going to work. But you can even see like take take Pokemon, right? You can slap you can slap Pokemon on anything and sell the fuck out of it. But that thing still has to have Pokemon in it. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> If it's got Pokemon, yeah, you can you can make. You don't a say few from the makers bucks. of Pokemon. From the makers of Pokemon comes this first person no, shooter murder right. simulator. If you played as a Pokemon, well, that would be. <laughs> I would Pikachu shit. the shit out of people. Oh my god! If a first person, <laughs> if it was kind of like Alien versus Predator, but oh like my god, Alien versus Pikachu. <laughs> Someone called Niantic. <laughs> called the po- that Pokemon game company. Ridley Scott uh, and the game creators of Pokemon bring you Alien versus Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so yeah. I guess lesson learned, uh, if somebody doesn't do well, be wary of their explanation as to why that is the case. Also, if they do well, be wary Generally of their speaking, be wary of people's <laughs> explanations for things. Recognize that they don't know why. You, I mean, you ought to be able to point to some reasons why things were did not go well and why they 
did go well, even though they, those won't be the full explanation. We talked about um, this a little bit with the Crashlands launch stuff. Our, our yeah. goal was to say every box that we know exists, we have checked. Right. That doesn't mean we we tried we didn't to check yeah. every box. Right. Just the ones we knew. Just about. The ones we knew about. Yeah. Well, it's also bearing well in mind enough. that that we can. You know, what people always say, "I did everything right, and my game still failed." Right. And and usually what they mean by that is doing everything right is they contacted YouTubers, they, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they made a trailer, they contacted press, they they went through the marketing checklist. Um, but they may have not made a game that anybody exactly. wants. Exactly. And and that's and that's kind of the kicker is every game has a, a certain level of appeal and it all depends on the context of the market, when it's made, mm-hmm. um, what else is out there, uh, the timing. So, for example, if you quote, did everything right, and then launched your game on iOS during that week that Super Mario Run came out, yeah. you, you didn't do everything right <laughs> that time. Because, yeah. because nobody got to see your game, right? And so there's there's always something um, that you can find as to as to why it didn't go. Mm-hmm. So uh, Also, we have uh, a pretty weird news item, which is we're doing a thing. We're doing an experiment. We're doing a summer experiment. Yeah. Spear- spearmint. We've, we've taken a call it the summer spearmint. Yeah. Which is our, our term for doing an experiment because in, in the summer. I think someone just mispronounced it, but we just rolled it. <laughs> so the summer spearmint at Butterscotch HQ is as follows. We noticed that so we work five days a week, right? Eight to four every day, usually four thirty five, because people kind of trickle out. And we noticed that um a lot of the, the first reasons that we put that eight to four schedule in place no longer were holding up. And the primary reason is to go from eight to four instead of nine to five was to say uh, one, it actually feels better to get off work earlier in the day you because get, more you got a little more evening. There's more, more sun. It feels yeah. better, even though you have to start work earlier. I think it's it's a thing that all of us have actually come to really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, we all should be waking up earlier anyway, no matter how probably much we, we should all be up at like two easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so that part of the schedule still holds, but part of the motivation there was saying, you know, a lot of the stuff that people have to deal with. If you work a nine to five, you actually have no time to go deal with during the week. Mm-hmm. For example, going to the bank. Bank closes at five. Good luck. You know, if you work a nine to five, get into the bank. On the some of them day. close at six, though. Do they now? Some of them. Some five thirty six. Anyway, so the idea was to was to give you know this nice hour chunk at the end of the day where it's totally fine for everybody to bounce and go take care of some stuff. The reality, of course, is that all of us like doing our work, and so most of the time people leak until we're kind of here till five. Anyways. Yeah, before thirty five, um, or want to go, you know, take care of something else, not necessarily run an errand right after work, like go to the gym as a crew, all this sort of stuff. So the the purpose of that stopping at four was not really not really working in terms of letting people fulfill their other life needs and stuff. Right. So and we so, actually tried to stop gap first before the thing you're going to talk about. We did. So the, the next thing we implemented was a thing we called chaos prevention day. Mm-hmm. And this has to do with the idea of uh, interruption coalescing. So you take all of the times in your in your day or in your life where normally you would sort of be drip fed these interruptions like errands, uh, you know, the easiest examples, emails. So one of the best ways to increase your productivity overall is just to do emails once or twice a day at a particular time instead of letting them drip feed. So you, you take all those interruptions and you coalesce them into a batch, essentially. So the idea with Chaos Prevention Day was that we said, all right, every third Friday, every three weeks, on every Friday. three weeks on Friday, try to put all of those appointments, all of those, like I need to go to the license bureau to get my uh, driver's license updated, bank account stuff. Bureau of shipping to, you know, ship some stuff, mm-hmm. you know, all these things uh, that you normally have to do, but you can't seem to get done during the work week. You can have time on this third Friday every month from the studio to just go do these things. It's cast prevention day. So you go try to like load up your, your appointments and stuff. The problem was that it seemed like it, it only, it only vaguely worked. It essentially, it, it allowed people to get more stuff done, but it didn't actually stop the interruptions from hitting the whole rest of the week. In other words, people were just going to do their stuff on Fridays. Um, but weren't able to sort of shuffle them out of the normal work weeks. Yeah. It's, weeks it's infrequent enough, right? So every, every three weeks on Friday means it's sort of, it's a weirdly unpredictable mm-hmm. time. And so if you go, oh, I have like, I need to go to a doctor's appointment. You say to your doctor, hey, uh, how about next Friday? Because I, I, I can go like during the day. And they say, ooh, that's not going to work. What about the following Friday? And then you go, how about three Fridays from that? <laughs> but on top two. of that, you need, you actually need to, to plan your chaos prevention, you already need a chaos prevention day to make all of those plans. And with that, like long of an interval, that means you have to be like, on, everything has to be on the radar right, all the time. Right. And so it just required, it required too much thinking, thinking yeah. to act, to be effective in any so way. So the next step was after we had our quarterly, <clears throat> uh, 
quarterly retreat, quarterly review a couple weeks ago, we said, okay, what's, you know, what's the actual deal with this? How can we possibly make this just a better overall life experience for everybody? Well, wait, mm. we also need to talk about jam days before oh, we yeah. get into that. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is all part of the, part of the backstory. <laughs> So as you guys know, we do jam days uh, at least once every month. Um, and a jam day is you come in at eight and you go until somewhere between eight and 10. And usually we'll have a well, not, not zero minutes, but like 12 right. hours, 12, 14 hours. And uh, we found them to just be just, just they're really fun. And they're incredibly potent work days. And it feels, it at least feels like you get much more than, than what you'd consider basically a day and a half of work done. It usually feels something like about two days, if not more in that one chunk of time. It's because of the the dedication of focus. Mm-hmm. The, dedication, the dedication of focus. And I think also in terms of, you know, there's a lot of things you do every single day that sort of stack up in terms of interruptions over the course of a, a, a work week. So for example, if you read games industry articles every day, like I do, then if that's like 20 minutes you take, then uh, on, a, on a jam day, that's 20 minutes for 12 or 14 hours versus 20 minutes every eight hours. Yeah. Right? You effectively didn't even take time to do it. Correct. Relatively speaking. Yeah. So it's uh, just we, free time. Yeah. We, we found them super good, but people are, are usually a little bit, we, we come in late the day after an hour and a half or two late, but still people are kind of like, I mean, that's, that's a lot of work to do in one day. So you're kind of sapped. Well, yeah. I mean, maintaining, maintaining really rigorous focus just takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And so when you do it for that long of a stretch, when you come in the next day, even though you're really pumped now and jazz, cause you just got so much done, you feel like productive. Your, your mind is just kind of scattered and, yep. and keep it. And, and actually, which that brings us to the other point too, which is we noticed that just that five day, five days are like trying to keep people just completely focused and engaged and on all the time. Because as far as we're concerned, if you're not solely dedicated to your work and you're at work, then what's the point? What are you doing? You doing? Right. You know, so, so that's, that's what we expect here. And that's what people do is they just throw themselves a hundred percent into, into the work. But when you maintain that, you know, for five days in a row uh, and then you know, throw in a jam day on top of that every once in a while, and it just gets it's a lot. Very, very. Well, I think taxing. so. There's there's a difference between intensity and duration, right? Yeah. Most workplaces measure your work output via duration. They right. say forty hours a week, get it done. Um, we want to balance essentially more so toward intensity. Well, it's saying, also because you can measure duration, but you exactly. can't measure intensity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, so what we're going to do for Spearmint Summer is the co the, you know the coalescing of all of this stuff, all of this thinking is we're going to try a four day work week. And not in the sense of saying you work 40 hours still um, or eight hours a day, but you actually work Monday through Wednesday, eight to four standard stuff. And then on Thursday, every week, it's jam day. Jam day. Every Thursday. Every single Thursday. So from eight to eight, basically, um, everybody will come in, crush a bunch of stuff. And then Friday, whatever. Do do whatever you want. And the hope is that we'll, we'll sort of hit a better balance point for everybody's lives, period, in terms of just being able to take care of stuff and, and, you know, not necessarily feeling uh, stretch too thin. Yeah. Well, cause in principle now, you know, the, the total number of hours, if we're measuring that becomes a little bit less for this word, yeah, I think it actually becomes less. Yeah. Um, but does each one of those hours is now far more valuable because all the things that normally allow people to kind of be interrupted during the, during the work day, you know, planning, planning their chaos prevention, having chaos, you know, all those, all those things, as well as just kind of taking care of your life stuff and, and worrying about your life stuff. Uh, now there's just a day every week where you get to handle all of that. And mm-hmm. so the amount of bleed through into the the work week itself, you know, those days where you're supposed to be solely focused on the task at hand, there's now, you just have fewer and fewer and fewer reasons, especially over time for that stuff to be a problem and right. to interrupt you. Right. So we're going to, we're going to give this a go. And we, we of course did a bunch of research before we decided to, uh, to give this thing a try. We're doing it for a month starting in uh, the second week of July. But uh, we're going to be sort of doing a, a you know postmortem after the fact, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the podcast as far as how it's going. Probably even probably a midmortem. Probably midmortem. You know, yeah. that's how we do. So, mm-hmm. but we're really excited to see see what this does and uh, see if it see if, if the effects on the work are as good as the effects that we're pretty sure are going to get on the people. Because I think it's definitely true that everyone's very much looking forward to having three day weekends every single weekend. Yeah. Um, the question is, is it going to be the case that the work also increases in terms of uh, you know? quality and yep. output because we'll still got to make stuff so yep. that we can pay everybody and keep the thing afloat mm-hmm. so who knows who knows i think it's gonna work though i feel, good. I feel good about it i good. think so all right uh so that's gonna start on july 10th something like that the week of july 10th um so yeah we'll have some updates mm-hmm. all right let's get on to some questions and these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net and they're asked by our bscotch id members with a couple of anonymous internet randos kind of thrown into the mm-hmm. mix, you know. All right, so first question comes from Cathal. 
Is it too early to ask uh, what the system requirements will be for the next Butterscotch game? Will my low mid-tier PC work or will I have to splash out on a new rig? Mm, it is very rare or very unlikely, I guess is a better word, that we will make a game in the near future that, that has that even has technical requirements. <laughs> uh, We're forced for, to put them there. You should be able to play it on a yeah. wooden chessboard. Yeah, that. I mean, and, and a lot of this, like, our goal is to be is to make games that are as broadly available as possible. And we are absolutely not trying to compete with the studios who are who are competing amongst the really great art and really great graphics and really great pushing all the physics engines like we're not trying to compete in that space we're trying to make just really fun solid gameplay experiences uh with you know and that's it that we're, we're trying to compete in our own little weird space. Well, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey too because i think we you know as we've gotten better at the game design at the programming at the art there's always a want to do more yeah always a want to do more and especially we always the art think side. maybe 3d yeah would be kind of cool yeah you we know? always think about it um but I, I, one of the inter- other interesting things is that when we look at the, you know, the 2D game space, we look at a game uh, like Hollow Knight, which for those of you who haven't seen it, super beautiful Metroidvania that recently came out, uh, went really, did really well. Adam played it this past week. Um, how big, how many gigs was it? It's 2D. It was eight gigs. Eight gigs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Crashlands is 50 megabytes. 60 well, now. 60. 60 now. Yeah. And that's mainly music. That's because it's music's in stereo. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so... You know, we're looking at that and, and the thing is, so, so this is always an argument essentially between the technical side and the art side because artists always want to put more stuff in there. I've learned that art is a gas mm-hmm. and it will always maximize to fill whatever space you give it. Yeah. So uh, you got to constantly be bottling it up. <laughs> so the thing that we've had to be getting more and more clever about is essentially saying, how do we achieve a, an even better looking game every single time we make one? That is ideally, you know, steps and bounds genuinely above the stuff we've made before that looks that can compete visually on the market, uh, but that doesn't absorb texture space so much, you know, and a lot of it comes down to so, like, you know, a lot of people ask about the the bone rigging system that, that Seth built within Game Maker for handling animations. And a big reason for doing that is so that we don't have to store texture based keyframes for animations, meaning if I had to redraw, say, like a Wampet doing its full leg attack animation as opposed to busting it up into a bunch of different pieces, that would take up a lot more texture space than being able to just change like the foot and have that be one little thing as opposed to being like a whole big image. So we save a ton of texture space by approaching things that way. And it happens to give our games a particular look and feel, which is sort of the, I guess it's the outcome of it or the benefit sometimes. But um, there's always a push and pull between these two things. But yeah, it's, it's safe to say for the future that because our goal is to make really broadly accessible games that mm-hmm. we're not going to be making anything that will probably ever tax your device. Yeah. And we mean broadly accessible just in that if you want the game, you can probably play it. Unless you only have a Linux machine and a Windows phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In which case we cannot help you. We just can't. <laughs> yeah. Although we may, we, I still, I'm still want to do the Linux experiment. But but we're Lin not experiment the Lin the Lin, the Lin experiment, the experiment meaning uh pu- putting our game one of our games onto Linux yeah just but just because yeah. because Andy and I now are both running Ubuntu you know twenty four seven blazing it over there yeah twenty four seven blaze Linux that's right and so if we can just get a build and just fiddle with it a mm. bit you know then uh, and I did I made a build once and it seemed to work but that was also on a on a, a laptop that was I think a decade old with an inbuilt graphics card that was also a decade old and it played like absolute, like it worked, but it was like a stuttering frame rate and stuff. It's like way, way below iPhone specs. Yeah, exactly. Which is already pretty low. Right. Yeah. So, so I was trying to figure out, is it, is it the build or is it the shitty We could try this experiment just to answer the question of whether or not we should provide a build for it for the next game on launch. Right. We'll see. So who knows? Because I think that is the one place where the mark, because it's on steam, I think the market is actually big enough there that they're for the accessibility goal. You know, there might be reason to put it there, but still there is no reason to put it on windows phone. <laughs> that is, that's a fact. Linux so. is above a windows phone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it is. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, all right. Yeah. Next question comes from killer Percol who says, ah, that's how it starts. Mm. Uh, I just want to, <laughs> I forgot, I forgot to ask you guys about your thoughts on net neutrality. Also, I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Look at me. I just wanted you guys to say that, LOL. <laughs> Net neutrality. What is it? Who is it? Where did it go? Where to go? Who's it from? What? I feel like everybody in the world has the same thought about net neutrality, yeah. except for internet service providers. 
Yes. Which is not strange. Which is, that it's, which is that it's good and people don't like the idea of having their connection throttled and then like paying money to get faster connections specifically for certain websites or whatever. Yeah. So, so the idea is, if I'm understanding correctly, it's that right now you have the same speed of connection to everything on, Netflix, the, on, on the interweb. YouTube, your mom's yeah. blog. Right. So, so without net neutrality, your internet service provider could say, oh, we've launched a new video streaming service. And now just by chance, every other video streaming service is very, very slow. It's weird. Not only by it. chance, they, we, they can nice, just outright say... We did it. We did it. We did that because <laughs> ours it's all, is really fast. Theirs is really slow. We did that because there are internet tubes and we can do whatever the fuck we want with them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. And uh, because most, especially in the United States, most internet c customers have literally no choice about who they get their internet from. Uh, this would mean that that entire companies like Netflix or whatever could be just utterly crushed by ISPs with these sort of uh, anti-competitive so Netflix did come out to say they make so much money now that they don't care, I believe. Was like well, because they could just ago. pay for yeah, it. Yeah, they'll be like, yeah, we'll pay for it. I don't care. Yeah, because, yeah. Although, well, but, they'll the, pay to go but fast. the ISP could just literally just be like, no, you can't access. Right, they could. Right. It wouldn't need, it's not even just a matter of throttling. It's just saying they get to decide what, what you get, what, is they'll, what they'll carry on there too. Comcast flicks. Yeah. Which we all know would be a great user. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I have yet to meet a single human. Just a, re a real human, the, not a not a lizard man yeah. who works for the cable company, or a politician, because what's you know because yeah. they the work difference? for the cable companies. Uh, Are politicians even people? That's that's a question for another. They're, they're more like money laundering vehicles. <laughs> you just kind of you it's just, a, you just it's a financial instrument. That's right. right. are, they're kind of like stocks and bonds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just you just you, buy you, one. You buy then, them and then you just get interest for a while and then your your tax right. rate goes down. Mm -hmm. You know all that stuff. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's a good financial instrument. It's a good, if you can afford yeah. it. It's a you know, it's top earner sort expensive. of thing. Yeah. It's top tier. I buy in. Top tier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's pretty to me. It's pretty uncontroversial. In terms of it being completely, in terms of everybody, backward. everybody in the universe who it, uses this service being in agreement on it, yeah, yeah, and then the people who provide it, politicians and cable companies, who are the same thing, uh, yeah, wanting to get rid of it, right? right. So, because they don't make enough money, Seth. They need to. They just, the thing is, they need to have more of the just, money. You know, <laughs> they just have more money. They don't have enough donuts. They got to get. Way more donuts. All right, next question comes from Angry Muffin. How do you feel about uh, Apple's family sharing where one person can buy a game and up to five other people can play it too without buying it again? It's So this is only an interesting problem because of the digital nature of things, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about back in the day when you bought whatever damn video game you want on a disc. That's just how it works. That's just how it worked. You're like, <laughs> and you have a Game Boy and your brother has a Game Boy like, and then your sister has a Game you Boy. You rip the physical cartridge out and you give it to them yeah. and Nintendo doesn't come by and they're like, hey, hey, you got to <laughs> hey, give me five bucks. And you remember there was a, there was a patent that, that someone found that Microsoft was putting together I for the Kinect. Yep. That was, the Kinect would watch your living room and if you're watching a movie, it's like, cool, you paid your $5. If someone else joined you, someone else walked into the what? room. They patented the technology where they could essentially like charge you. Although here's an interesting. Well, thing no, though. it would it would freeze the movie, and then it would require you to pay more to yes to increase but, the number of viewers. But you know what's interesting about this? Just that specific example is that it is technically true that if you if you buy a movie, right, you're the person who's led to view that, and if you show it to other people, that is now a that's uh, piracy. It is. It is actually piracy because that, that is now a what's the what's the word for it? It's a it's a exhibiting. Well, you're you're breaking the license. You're breaking the agreement, license agreement basically. exactly because because you don't own the movie. Here's the question: You're, you own you're the buying right. the right for you to what view if, it. Yeah. What if I go see Wonder Woman uh -huh. and then I go talk to my friends about it and I tell them the entire story and plot? It depends how vividly you depict it. What if I'm yeah. like I'm just a wordsmith, so I'm I'm making them hallucinate the movie in their brain, mm, right, with my words. Yeah, you're breaking that user agreement. You know what I'm saying? I think this this might be like a this might be a trade secrets infringement. What if probably. I play the, the uh, Breath of the Wild Zelda game, uh -huh. and my significant other comes and watches me play it? Well, now it's a let's play, which means again you are now liable for yeah, damages. Yeah, but you're also going to have to start <laughs> advertising to your fiance or your spouse. Oh, yeah, I'll pause the game and be like, "Have you heard about? Have Jesus. you heard about Bleach?" And then, <laughs> and then they and then they have to. Wire money over to YouTube. Red, wait, isn't this just what a let's play is? Or they'll just wait five seconds and then poke me, and then I'll get back to playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
so I, yeah, I think uh, as long as you are sort of emulating what the market yeah, is, I think the weird thing is is that it's it's so non-controversial when the good is physical because it doesn't make any damn sense. Because well, it's the only way it can be. It's the only way it could be. So for playing a game though, not like for watching a movie, that's controversial as fuck. That you'd be like, I I, now everybody has to chip in and oh play. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that but, part, right. But, but when it's a physical good though, just practically. If two people in the same house want to play it, they both have to own a device as well as a copy of the game to do it. Mm-hmm. And so back in the, and this is, this is how like the whole world was designed, right? It was designed around just that fact of existence that if you wanted to use some entertainment product, you had to get it as a physical entity. And if it was something you interact with, only one person can interact with at a time. So that's just like, that's just how it had mm-hmm. to be. But now we're in the digital age where literally none of that is true anymore. And we're still, everybody sort of believes that the practices should be the same as they were back when everything was a physical good. But it's also the case now that many, or I should say most digital goods are free. Yeah. And so this really only applies to digital goods that you bought. Right. 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 So, so this only affects paid games because if it's a free game, it's like, sure, everybody just downloads it. Yeah. Whatever. But I think that's the interesting thing is that. I guess the there, there's that question of what's what's the should here, you know? What's the feeling of how this should operate? Because it's fine to me. I don't, I don't give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. someone's like, oh yeah, I bought Crashlands for my family. I'm like, cool. Great. Great. You don't need to spend twenty five dollars buying this game on mobile as opposed to five. It just, it just doesn't make yeah, any well, sense. And everybody well, can sign up for a unique B Sketch ID. Logic, though, All right, is, let's go. If I can buy it for my family, why can't I just buy one copy and share it with everybody? You could. It's like a library. That's what people do. Yeah, but that's already. what I mean. <laughs> but, but would we consider that to be okay, that I can just buy it and just like now literally every other human can just play my copy instead of buying their own copy from But as we've discussed, as a distributor, because you ain't family. But I, but, I, but I was already distributed. Now, there's got to be some sort of blood or legal tie involved. Otherwise, I'm going to be a sort of it's family and friends you. discount. Well, here's yeah. the, but it's also in friends. <laughs> Right. Because true. without a doubt, anybody who's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. They're going to share it with their buddy, too. You know, you'd be like, you're my, you're my uncle. No. Yeah. But as Facebook taught us, you know, friend is a slippery word that mm. can mean literally anybody. What's the maximum number of people you can have in one of these things? There's got to be a maximum. Well, I think, it's no, I think, I think what, what you're doing is because we talked about piracy in well, a lot in previous episodes yeah. and basically how it doesn't matter because as long as enough people still just buy it. No, no, but that's not why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because those people wouldn't have bought it anyway, so it's not Separate a lost market. sale, right? right? So, but they're what, not part of your market. But the assumption now is that if let's say let's say I have a friend who buys games, yeah, and I'm like, well, I don't buy games because I got this friend who buys games, mm-hmm. right? So, so I'm just gonna always wait for them to buy the game and then give me the disc later or whatever. So yeah. I'm not a lost sale. Cause yeah, yeah. I never buy games. Right. right? So that doesn't matter. Yeah. So which is why like, so this is, which is all coming to my position on this, mm-hmm. which is that if, if you, if you want like your family, your whole family to be playing this game, everybody should buy a fucking copy of the game and play it. Right. Or you should buy a copy for everybody. Uh, if you're trying to convince somebody to play because they wouldn't otherwise, and you want to just, you want to reduce the barrier. Cause it's like, Oh, you're going to love the shit out of this game. Or it's a game that, you know, you're going to play a lot of, and you want them to have like to join with you sometimes or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Then, you know, just buy your own copy and then share it with them, right? So you're saying you don't think the family sharing thing makes. I mean, I think. Well, except the family sharing has a maximum fine. of five. Yeah, yeah. Which because the thing is, like, as soon as you do like family sharing, maximum of five, this all becomes arbitrary and takes intent away, which is the same deal with piracy, mm-hmm. right? Because to me, piracy is all about what is it actually doing? Because the only reason for us to even give a shit at all is just if if these mechanisms mean that now we get less of an opportunity to make more games for those same people who want games from us. Right. Which just means if, as soon as people don't buy the games, but would have, that means we get to make fewer games. The future is imperiled. The future is imperiled. Right. Right. And, And so for me, like as soon as you just say, here's a mechanism by which it's just expected actually now, right. It's now just expected that you can now have five people who all, let's just say all of them want the game and can afford it. Right. But now the mechanism is just, just, it's a family thing. Just one of them buys it. Just, you just, right. It's now expected, actually, that that you only one person buys it, and that's the end of the story. And and who that and like once you start, it's sort of like the whole free to play practice, right? Like once right. it once it exists and becomes an expectation, then that's just how things are now, right? And what if uh, the platforms start competing on how big the family size is? They could. Right. Oh Ooh. yeah, we offer seven. We yeah. could uh, we could just increase our prices by five times. Exactly. Like, Boom. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and that, that helps that would on bring average it. four families of five, but then kicks out <laughs> everybody else. Right. So, yeah. so to me, like I just, in, in most ways I don't give a shit or think that it matters. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that it sets up 
a, a re, a, a actually just nonsensical precedent, right? Because it makes just as little sense for me to be like, oh, I bought this game. Now my family members can also have it as it does to say, I bought this game. My friend can have it or this random stranger that I met. Like, there's no reason that being a family it's different. Means that I means that I share things that I bought, unless we're like sharing devices and like it's the well, only kids. Well, this is talking about kids, yeah. yeah. But this is also but this. it's not how people use it. People are using like it's adult fucking college kids sharing it with their siblings, right? What if they have? Yeah, what if they? Have but this is also the scenario now where you've got a family of five where they have enough money that everybody has an iPad or something, right? But they don't have enough money to buy like five copies of a couple dollar. Right game, which well, probably yeah, makes sense because I mean, they spent all their money on yeah, it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's like to me, it's like if you have separate devices, you should buy separate copies of the. Game. It's my opinion, I guess, on this is if you if you have your own device, you should own also your own Wait, copy of the game. What about something like a Netflix subscription? Netflix right. recognizes this is a thing, and they just give you different user accounts. So but, different but here's profiles. the difference, though: is is on something like Netflix, right? This is now something that you just watch, right? And you mostly it's like meant to. It's not an interactive component, which means that you know. It's not unlike a game where one person interacts with it at a time unless it's a multiplayer game. And I would actually say, like, if it's a multiplayer game, you always play it with somebody else. Like, why the fuck would you both have a copy? That doesn't make any sense, right? Right, true. And it's like, to me, a TV show is just a multiplayer video game. Whoa! You know? Local. Local, local co-op. <laughs> local co-op. But it's a walking simulator, It's very right? You don't actually do anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. It is it's, a game, it's, a, it's an automated walking simulator, yeah. right? Uh, and so... I'm yeah, going to so, start calling movies... <laughs> Automated walking, walking simulator. <laughs> I see that Wonder Woman automated walking simulator. Oh, yes. man. Super good. Super good. But they are though, right? Because the gameplay was okay. Right. And, <laughs> and so for me, like a family plan makes totally makes sense as a thing to do with something like Netflix, assuming you're watching stuff with your family. Because I, I also know, and I think I probably did this actually at one point in college or something back when I had no scruples or morals, right? Uh, where there would be somebody else like maybe related to me, like a parent or something. And again, I can't remember if this actually happened, but I know other people who do it where they live in different fucking states. They're not watching TV together, right? Uh, and they're just like, ooh, it would be cheaper. Can you just send me your Netflix password? Yeah, exactly. Send me your Netflix password. And so people are sharing it with people they that they barely even know. And, and to me, this now goes like counter to the whole point, which is that for these entities to exist to provide us the stuff that we want, people have to pay for it. If you can afford to pay for it, you should. You should. <laughs> and... And when it comes to things like uh, like this question of what, what a license is and like who can I share it with and what are my rights, just like who gives a shit? If you like a thing, support it and pay for it if, if you can. Yeah, right? that, that's not the modality, I think. That no, it is not. But I think the thing is like things like a family sharing plan actually push against the healthier modality. Well, we've talked about a little bit about in the past about the difference between a platform and a developer or even in this case, something like Netflix and maybe the people who make the movies. yeah. And how one th a thing that necessarily might be good for the platform might actually not be good at all for any individual yeah. in the who who makes content for that thing, right? Um, and I guess you mean by by your logic, I think it, it could be certainly argued that actually a family sharing plan very good for the platform looks great, um, especially if it's a feature that no other platform has or something like that. Right. Um, but in terms of its actual effect on the devs, individual dev studios might be less good. But I think actually the individual effect on people is probably not very big. Like I, don't, I think the the relative impact of like sharing within a family versus everybody buying within the family that's going to happen so rarely anyway. Right. That I don't think about. It. Well, I mean, one difference is that like between my wife and I, for example, because we play a lot of the same stuff. Um, we actually set up the the family thing on because Google Play has it too, right? Mm -hmm. And so we actually set that thing up so we could like try and we, and we use it to kind of try other games that we you know alternately had that we're not really into just to like see what they were. Hmm. Um, and we actually do the same thing with steam because steam, you can also share in a family. Right. But for both of us, anytime we actually decide we like a game that we've tried, you know, the other person's copy of, we just go buy it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And part of it is like on steam, you actually can't play the game at the same time. Right. Oh, interesting. And I think that's, and, and, and to me, like that, that's something cool that kind of recognizes the reality of, of the thing, which is that, you know, it, it already sort of recognizes the intent. And so the thing that I'm, that I worry more about is not about just like kind of the loss of sales. Cause I think that's minor. I don't think it's a big deal, Sure, but it's, it's the, it's the way that that sets up people's understanding of what they're doing when they buy a game. Right. Because buying a game right now is treated by most people as a thing. Oh, I have to do this to be able to access this content, right? <laughs> Instead of, oh, I'm I'm gaining access to this thing and, and then providing the ability for the creator of that thing to make more, right? Because mm -hmm. that's that's what you're that's what actually the relationship is. Uh, and if you just see it as how do I how do I get this thing as cheaply as possible? Because that's what a family plan does. It just it's the same as the race to the bottom of any pricing sure. system. Is it just says how do we get this as cheaply as possible? Uh, which to me is a is just a bad framing, especially for the long term, because now the kids that grew up in these environments, 
that are just like sharing all this content that they literally never pay for, you know, right now they go out in the world. What are they going to buy? And if they buy stuff, aren't they going to just put their friends on their family plan? I, I will say though, I, I think, no, it, it can go either way in the sense that, you know, we grew up in the Napster age. Yeah. Uh, and so, but the one thing, the big difference though, is that sometimes you would download a virus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like a rule of there the was, dice. There was risk. There's uh, risk we're involved. still in the Napster age. Now we just call that, uh, what is it? Sound, whatever the fuck. Sound cloud. No, not sound. <laughs> Spotify. I bet. Spotify right. is just Napster. It's fucking free music. Yeah. We weren't, it's not, it's not different. It is not different except that sometimes the people who are, you know, putting content there get paid a tiny, tiny fraction of money. Okay. Based on uh, hundredth of a penny per because the reason that we were all stealing music back in the day was because there was literally no other way to get it besides buying it on a disc for a dollar a track except in a lot of cases there was not a good way to get that either yeah yeah. because we lived in the midwest of town there was a there was a radio shack in art the walmart was the one that had there was a there was a walmart and a radio shack and if they didn't have it you just don't get to listen yeah but also that's that's (laughs) 10 bucks a pop right and as we talked about in the last episode ish you know, we had allowance money. We had to use that for stuff. We wanted to buy video games with that shit. We didn't want to buy, you know, these. The latest uh, the Baxter's latest voice album. Right, right <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, but the other thing is like, is now with something like Spotify, you have access to literally the entire archive of all music and for free or for so cheap, it's effectively free. Because if you're paying whatever it is, 10 bucks a month or less yeah, than that. Yeah, I think it's 10. Uh, to get to listen to music of literally every kind of music that has ever existed, right? You do get to listen to that. You're basically getting that for free. There's to me, there's no difference between your treatment of that as it was like back when you were using Napster, right? You're just getting free content. The relationship between just, you, you won't get as many viruses. Yeah, but so it's think, a little different, right? <laughs> but think about your relationship to music now after using things like Spotify and like and I used to use Pandora back when that was the main one. Uh, like to me now, music is a thing that has little value. Right. Well, you don't have to work for any given track. You well, this is actually yeah, why yeah. Well, I've been, and I've been trained time. to think like, I just like skip through music, whatever. I don't even try stuff. It doesn't matter if I have to, if I had to, if somebody told me I had to pay a dollar to listen to a piece of music now, I'd be like, what in the fuck? Right. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, and I'm going to be broken a day. I yeah. could get a, I could get a tulip cookie from Panera for right. that price. And it's because I've been trained, you know, by, by these systems. That's the way it is. And, and so, and as we've complained about in the past, this is what free to play has done to video games. It's made them not have value. Is this not, for whatever reason, is this not sort of the end all be all for just content? Oh, I think it is. I think there's a lot of, I think just like, I think advertising is going to be the thing that supports literally everything. Everything is just going to be effectively free for the consumer. And what they're, and what's actually happening is the the transaction is not a consumer buying something from us. It's going to be them uh, selling their attention to some entity in return for getting access to the thing that we made. I will say, I think, Gross. Yeah. Maybe. I think things happen generationally and different generations have different sort of interpretations or different approaches to things as they grow up with surrounded by different technology and stuff. What we might see in the longer term is a sort of a cyclical return to people not wanting to constantly be worried about being surveilled by having robots in their houses and shit like that. Maybe. I mean, maybe. So I know one thing that I've done that my wife and I have done is we've canceled our Netflix subscription. Yeah. Um, and because we felt the same way, we're basically uh, watching movies or watching TV shows just became, it became a mindless habit that you don't do on purpose. And it also is not satisfying in any way because there's no, it's just, you just well, have an, infinite it, of it. And it's an opportunity cost because there were, there's stuff that you know is much better use of your time that you're now definitely not. Doing. Yeah. And so what we did instead is we canceled our Netflix subscription. And then when we want to watch a movie, we rent it yeah. for like three bucks on Amazon. Yep. Uh, and then we just, we just watch that, which means, you know, we're renting, you know, three or four movies a month, maybe, which basically comes out to the same as a Netflix mm-hmm. subscription. Uh, mm-hmm. the difference is now we actually make an event out of it instead of like plopping down. Yeah. Instead of somebody just like coming home after work and then just like plopping on the bed and just like watching you know, eight episodes of Breaking Bad or something just by themselves. <laughs> now it's, you know, read a book or, you know, work on something, whatever. And then if we want to watch a movie, we do it together and it actually means something. Like we have popcorn, you know, and like we right. make an event out of it mm-hmm. um, because it's just not infinitely available all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there is a lot of value to that. So, yeah, but on that same, on that very same service on Amazon, they're trying to pack as much free with prime content in yep. as they can. Yeah. 
because their goal is to make it so that you someday you're like, Ooh, but I want to see this show and it is free. And now you can just veg out and watch it again. Right. Yeah. And, and well, I think it's hard. I, it's going to be I harder love, and harder to escape. It is. And, and, and I, well, I love the, the idea that like that maybe our, our, or the next or the younger generation will be better. I don't believe that even for a second because they, they're more <laughs> steeped in it than anybody has been in the past. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's gotten, it's just, it's just getting it's more, more normalized, intense, right? Yeah. It's becoming more normalized. And so, yeah, there always will be a backlash against it. There always has been, there's always been a subset of the population that kind of pushed against stuff. And, and people like you who just cut one cord or another and, and escape it, uh, there will always be those people, but that doesn't mean that that's a trend that like the whole thing is going to shift. Okay. Listen, I want to, pr- I want to present an idea to our listeners and I want to get, I want to get some feedback mm, on this okay? because this is something that we've been, we've been talking internally about doing. And I know I haven't talked to you guys about revealing this to the sure, public, but we're doing it. <laughs> um, so we have all of our older games are free to play. They have in-app purchases in them. They have ads in them. We've never liked Which this. We hate. We've never liked this fact. It adds a lot of maintenance on our end because we have to make sure that we keep our SDKs up to date for ads as well as mm-hmm. in-app purchases. Um, and the fact that we have four games split apart means that any, like, let's say a new iOS update comes out. Now we have to patch four games. A uh, new Google Play update or new Android version comes out. Same deal. We got to patch four games. Um, and if there's a compatibility problem in one of them, there's probably a compatibility problem in all of them. Blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of work. And on top of that, it's not even the type of game experience that we want to be delivering <laughs> because we don't want to be showing ads to people. We don't want uh, we don't want to have these sort of like in-game stores and all that garbage. Um, but we felt like at the time we kind of needed to do it to get enough people just looking at us because like Adam's talking about sort of the forces of the market dictate that you don't pay for stuff. Right. And so now that we've sort of established that we make good enough stuff to warrant paying a couple of dollars for, (laughs) um, we're in a different position. So one thing that we are considering doing is taking our four older games, rolling them together into a single application that we'll call the butterscotch arcade or something like Mm -hmm. that. Ripping out all the ads, uh, ripping out all the in-app purchase elements, rebalancing them to be more appropriate for, you know, not having all those purchases. Um, So Quadrupus Rampage in particular is pretty, you know, it's it's the best of the bunch, but is also the most skewed by. Yeah. So like because because you can buy things to progress your character in the game, then there's all these things in the game that are balanced around that fact. So we would kind of rebalance that, rip out the in-game store, you know, find better ways to do stuff. Um, So we'd roll all four of those games together into a single app and then we would sell that for a few bucks as just like the Butterscotch Arcade. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that we are debating doing, not in the, not in the near term, but in, you know, a little bit later down, down the road. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious to hear from our, from our people. You can just like send us a tweet or just, you know, throw a podcast, uh, question up and just say that you like the idea or that you hate the idea. Do we read Either Twitter at all? I no. Do. I, do? Check, I check out. Okay. It. I check it, I think once every two weeks. I jumped on there uh, yesterday and nice. I was like, what is, what is this? And then I left. So probably so. On, on, <laughs> on average, we probably check it with decent frequency. I think this is so weird because so we, we make games. We are a technology studio. But all of We're us. like Luddites. <laughs> completely hate most aspects of it. Well, but there, there are certain things because we, we all still love games though, right? Yeah. And, and, and we still love making technology and the technology that we make, I would argue, uh, does the best that it can to to practice the principles that we that we preach. So take like take B Scotch ID, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we could and, and take B Scotch ID too. In particular, uh, we're going to let people use Facebook and Twitter and Google to log into it. And what that means is we could because those companies are very happy just to give us all of your information. Right? They will do it. They they actually they try to. They if just, you they if you're on to you. if you're on Facebook and you ever sign into something with Facebook Connect or whatever, really what you're doing is you're just telling that that other company like, oh yeah, you just have everything. Yeah, like, everything name, I've ever age, done. You know, right. My it's pet, my there. mother's maiden name, my first pet's name, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You can just the, have the, that. The street where I grew up, you know, all that's there. Yep. So. Uh, <laughs> And I mean, and realize like, you know, that stuff based on the privacy settings you choose that there's a certain subset that goes, et cetera. But I was actually amazed when I, when I was hooking up to these services for Bruce Gudgeon, just how much shit they threw at us. Right. Mm. And, uh, we don't want it, but we don't want it. We don't want any of your fucking data. Right. Cause we, we don't want to have to protect name. We don't want to, we don't want your name. I want your email address. We just want your email address so that we can contact you. (laughs) And so that you can say, well, you can reach out to us for support and we can be like, yeah, we believe you are who you say you are because 
you have that email address and that's the one that's attached to your account. Right. Uh, and so, so we, when we're doing our technology stuff, we try to practice the stuff that we, and we don't, we don't have, uh, alerts on our applications. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't spam you with things. We don't send push notifications, push notifications. We don't spam you with emails all the time. We just send you a newsletter that's entertaining. Right. What's the, uh, so I don't think there actually is a discrepancy. I think what we're trying to do is kind of the thing that we wish everybody else was doing because, because I personally fucking love technology. I think it's awesome. Like I love the tech behind something like Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter. I just loathe the companies themselves that are, that are making that tech and what they're doing with it. Because they realize that by, by sort of preying on very particular aspects of human psychology or yeah. emotion, then they can, they can do stuff. Yeah, because I get away I, with it. To me, to me, what those companies are doing is is a net negative for literally all of society because their their reach is so large, and it prov- they do provide some things that can be positive, like ways for people to contact each other in important situations, um, ways for people to stay connected, that sort of thing. But though they do that at the baseline, that's not the goal of those companies. Right? <laughs> the goal is to sell advertising. The goal is to sell advertising, and and that means that they have to manipulate all kinds of things about you to do that. And we want. I don't want any part we don't, of that. We don't want to do that. But I love the tech. Like I love learning about how it works. Right. And I love, and I love interacting with it until it gets gross. And then I have to turn it off and get away from it. Right. But uh, I think, I think there still are enough companies doing non-gross stuff. What do you think the cost of principles are? It's really expensive to have principles. Yeah. From an opportunity cost standpoint. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, there is no the cost of principles. There's actually no reward aside from, Whatever your sort of self satisfaction is, <laughs> there's no financial reward. There's no financial reward. What I'm saying is like nobody cares yeah, that we do this. That's what I'm right. saying. Like I don't think I think sure we are podcast wrong. people. I think people do care eh, a lot less of them than would care if the game was like free. Most people don't understand even what's happening. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so it's, it's take, <laughs> taking a principled stand against something that most people don't even think about or care about. Yeah, but it is for those people who do care, and for ourselves because we care and we know what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's right, but it, but it is true because we, we, and we talked about this in, internally in the past too, like, you know, we're, yeah, we're escaping yeah. free to play. We hate it. Uh, and if we were, but if we, if we wanted to do it, we can make a free to play game that practices all the, the grossest psychological principles and just I mean, pulls Sam money. Out a, of I mean, Sam's a psych major, yeah. you know, I'm an econ major. I'm a statist. I can, Adam is a statistician. Like yeah. we, we have the exact background. We, to, to we, do can, this we can get real gross, you know? Well, I was actually thinking about this. And uh, make, but we won't. And then sit on a pile of money that, you know, that is bigger than anybody needs, but that's dirty money. That's gross. Yeah. I'm not into it. But I think that I was driving around yesterday and I realized I just had this one thought which popped in my mind about free to play stuff which is that our goal as a studio is to create as much value for our players as possible right and free to play is to extract to as extract much as much value yeah. as possible right that's yep. the difference yeah and i think it's fucking yeah. gross you know on a, on a principled stance I'm, I'm sure we're not gonna have as much money as supercell ever will but well, i don't give a fuck. well listen Bye. i want to i know i know we're, we're basically out of time but mm-hmm. i just do want to touch on this, which is during our retreat, we talked about the idea that what, what we are doing inside of our studio is like, we have this bubble of influence and it's kind of like a lab. It's a laboratory where we can do experiments. We talked about spearmint summer, we're doing this free or this, uh, the premium stuff. And we're just like, no, we're not going to fuck around with all the normal industry methods. Uh, we're going to allow you to maybe you like use Facebook connect or Facebook sign in mm-hmm. to log into B Scotch ID in the but future, but only to get your email. Address. But we're literally not going to take any of your data. We're, mm-hmm. We just need you're just going to use it to sign in, and that's the it's end. It's just of for it, convenience, right? Yeah. Um. And so there's all these other companies that do that do these things, and we just aren't going to do them because we believe that there's another way, right? And so we have this this bubble of influence that we have control over, and then beyond that, we hit, we call it the fuzzy bubble, which is we once we do stuff and learn about it and demonstrate that it works, mm-hmm. then we can start spreading the word about that, and we can talk to other studios because we realize that uh, that our our biggest mission as a studio doesn't doesn't really have anything to do with with games specifically. Our our goal as a studio is to do whatever we can to create the kind of world that we really want to live in. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, and the world that we do live in is definitely not that world. It's not there yet. Nah. It's got some things. It's got some kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea is, you know, we we have influence over a certain domain, which is our own sort of Studio. little, it's our own little bubble. Yeah. We can do whatever we want in there. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And when it does, then we can go out and we can be an example. And we can also teach people about alternative approaches, alternative ways of doing things. Um, 
So I think, you know, maybe in maybe in the short term, the cost of having principles is astronomical. <laughs> uh, but maybe in the well, long no, term, the, the opportunity cost, yeah, it's the opportunity cost, the opportunity cost. Yeah. yeah. But, in, you know, maybe in the long term. Uh, what we what we are able to do is rally more people to get on board with the ideas that we're putting out, and maybe you know? by practicing our principles, we get to make the world a better place. Shit, yeah. Which I think is what principles are for. Actually. That is what it's for. Yeah. yeah. Is you just say, "Fuck it, I'm going to sacrifice something in hopes that this is worth it. it. This is a net a net gain for everybody." Right. Yeah. All right. I think what that's a, a good place to end. What a great note to end on, you guys. I feel so uplifted and inspired. <laughs> Let's get out of here before it goes down. All right. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we'd like to thank uh, our studio wrangler Monique for putting this episode together, and again, congrats on you know ma- making a making an entire human. That's a, that's a big effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd also like to thank our producer Fat Bard for making us sound good, and the Beast Gotcha Dev team, Andy Tifa and Sure, for continuing to build stuff while we're in here making this podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running, and of course, uh, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for coming back every week to listen to us talk about game dev stuff. Uh, also, if you would like to get involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server at bit.ly slash bsdiscord and say hello, or come over to podcast.bscotch.net and ask us some questions. Also, we don't advertise this show. We depend completely on word of mouth and good reviews, so if you want to help us grow, spread the word, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your grandma, and then go to iTunes, go to, or sorry, Apple. No, it's Apple Podcasts <laughs> Go to now. Apple Podcasts, uh-huh. go to Google, Google Play, Google Radio, whatever it's called. Uh, Give us some five stars. Every little bit helps. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.